You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Good morning, Grace Community Church and all who have chosen to worship with us today. We are so glad you are here. I have a friend who often says to me, here's what I want to know. How can you tell if a person is a Christian or not? Now, what my friend wants to know is, should I keep witnessing? Because this person's life doesn't seem to indicate the faith that he claims to have. Or should I just let it go? Should I accept this person's word and assume that he or she is a, is a Christian? Well, John 15 requires us to address this difficult question, but we have to realize that we need to ask it of ourselves before we do of others. Our church has been in John's gospel for over a year now. And John 15, 1 through 17, which is today's text, tells us clearly that Jesus is the vine, we are the branches. Any hope of eternal life that we have requires that we be attached to the true vine, who is Jesus. Does this mean that we have to hang on to the vine? Or does it mean that we are the natural fruit of the vine? When Jesus says that branches that do not bear fruit are taken away and burned, should that give us concern, wondering if we are true branches? Comments such as, you are my friend if you do what I command you, may alarm us and make us feel as if it's up to us to be worthy enough to be branches on the true vine. But to interpret scripture in this way is, as we have discussed for several months to interpret the Bible with a theology of glory rather than a theology of, of the cross. We can easily think that the Bible teaches that my relationship with Jesus is up to me. But in fact, I can never obey at the level required to be clean enough to be worthy of the Lord. So before we get to our text, John 15, verses 1 to 17, read by our own Chris Kearns. Nice job, Chris. Let's identify three principles to help us properly interpret this text. Because to interpret the text rightly is the only way we can properly apply the text. The first of the three guidelines for understanding this text is to remember Jesus is the true vine, the fulfillment of God's plan of redemption for his people. In several Old Testament texts, Israel is known as the vine of God or the vineyard of God, planted intended to by the Lord, who expected his vine to yield good and abundant and lasting fruit. In several Old Testament texts, Israel is known as the vineyard of God or the vine of God, planted and tended to by the Lord, who expected his vine to yield good and abundant fruit. In almost all the Old Testament text where Israel is identified as a vine, the nation is judged as a failure, yielding only wild grapes as stated in Isaiah 5. In the same way that Jesus is greater than the temple, 
He is Lord of the Sabbath. He is fulfillment of the longings that the Jewish feast identify and the needs that the Jewish feast identify. Here in John 15, Jesus is the true vine of God that will provide life to the branches, which in turn will provide lasting fruit or the lasting fruit that the Father desires. The second principle to keep in mind, we are cleansed through Jesus' word, not by our ability to keep the law. Jesus declares us to be clean and we are clean by faith. John 15 tells us that all branches in Christ that produce fruit will be pruned and cared for. But all branches that do not produce fruit will be taken away and burned. <coughs> Question. <clears throat> do we produce fruit to stay in the vine or do we produce fruit because we are in the vine? It's the latter. Relax as we navigate John 15. If your faith and trust is in Jesus and Jesus alone, not in yourself in any way, then you have been made clean. And you do not need to question whether or not you are good enough to be in the vine. So the third principle we want to remember Jesus' sacrifice inspires his followers to joyfully keep his commands, producing fruit that glorifies the Father. Does this mean that we will achieve perfection as legitimate branches in the vine? Heavens no. Think of the 11 who heard Jesus' word. They failed, they repented, and they were restored to fellowship. If we are believers, though, there will be evidence by the fruit or the evidence of the fruit that comes in our lives. There's no way around this truth. The scripture has been read, and it is time to carefully examine the text. I would encourage you to have your Bibles open as we go. But before we jump in, let's pray. Father, we are about to dive into a text that is a favorite of many and a word that causes doubt for many as well. May we understand this text in its context, both narrow and broad, and may we have open and responsive hearts that encourage us on this day. In Jesus' name, amen. In John 15, 1, Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. In several Old Testament texts, the Lord told his chosen people, the nation of Israel, that he had done everything possible, possible to promote growth in the vineyard he had planted. But Yahweh was disappointed time and again. The passage of scripture we're about to study is not about human achievement. It is not Jesus saying, I have come now, so you are able to do better. So I want you to redouble your efforts and work harder because I think that you're now capable of providing and producing the kind of fruit that my father longs to see. No, that's not what he's saying. This 
text is about abiding in Christ who makes it possible for us to bear the fruit that the Father desires. Verses 1 to 8 tell us to abide in the true vine, who is Jesus, and then verses 9 to 16 instruct us to abide in Jesus' love. I've been asked by a lot of people if I believe in replacement theology. I really hadn't heard that term until a few years ago. But the question is designed to understand this. Do I believe that the church has replaced the nation of Israel as the locus of God's blessings? No, I do not believe the church has replaced Israel. But I do believe that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promised redemption made to Israel. And the promises that were made to the nation of Israel extend to all who trust Jesus for salvation. Galatians says that all who believe in Jesus are sons of Abraham, whether they are Jews or Gentiles. Romans 11 indicates that the nation of Israel will turn as a whole to Jesus soon before he returns. But will the nation of Israel assume a more important role than Gentiles who believe in the last days? I do not think that scripture teaches that because Jesus is the vine and all who belong to him are branches that belong to the vine. And in the vine, there is no Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Verse 2 gets right to the point, and the more we read in the text, the more sobering this point becomes. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. We need to answer two primary questions. We're going to talk about pruning some, but that's going to be talked about more later in the message and especially in the application. But the, the two questions we need to ask ourselves about to interpret this text is first, what is the fruit to which Jesus refers and commands his followers to produce? Is it the fruit of the Spirit being displayed in our lives, or is it those we win to Jesus? Those are the two options that I was always given, but it's more than that, and you, we will see all of these in our text. Just think about what the fruit of a believer is, and by the way, it's Jesus who produces the fruit through us in our lives, but we are the ones that display that fruit. So here's what our text will tell us. The believer's fruit incorporates obedience to the Lord and to Jesus' commands. It incorporates love for Jesus that produces joy, a vibrant prayer life, love for our brothers and sisters in Christ, intimacy with Jesus through the word, and sharing Christ with the lost as we pursue the mission that God has given us as his followers. All this as we abide in Jesus through faith. By the way, this is not one of the two questions, but it is another question that we need to address. Was Jesus speaking only to his disciples in the farewell discourse, or was this truth intended for all believers? 
The answer is yes, sort of. One could ask the same question of the great Commission. Was Jesus speaking only to his disciples when he said, take the gospel to the entire world? Or was he, by extension, speaking to all believers? The apostles had a specific calling and a special role in the early church. And we are wrong to apply all Jesus' specific instructions meant for them to our own lives. But almost all that Jesus said to them applies to us in one way or another. Thus, we can expect to find the same fruit in our lives that was promised to the disciples. So getting back to verse 2, we're going to talk about the pruning process in the application. But the second question that we really need to address in verse 2 is what happens to the branches that he takes away in the absence of fruit? We will see when we get to verse 6. Verse 3 is key to interpreting the entire text. Already you were clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Friend, you need not be nervous as we work our way through this text, wondering if you measure up. You don't measure up. But if you put your trust in Jesus' sacrifice for your sins then Jesus has declared you to be clean because he did measure up. He kept all the law and then died in our place. Think about this. John's gospel was one of the last New Testament books to be written. And by the time it was written, many would have known or understood that when other New Testament books talk about the word of Christ or the word about Christ, such as in Romans 10 and Colossians 3. The writers were referring to the gospel. The disciples had no idea that Jesus would die for their sins and be resurrected on the third day uh, when Jesus spoke these words to him. But by the time John wrote his gospel, all believers understood what it meant when Jesus promised life in unity with him because of his death and resurrection. It's good news that Jesus died for us because we have no hope of making ourselves worthy to stand before the Lord as Israel proved over and over by failing to keep the law. But Jesus did for us what we were incapable of doing uh, in our own strength. This passage is not intended to make you question whether or not you're a Christian. Although if there is no fruit in the areas we covered in verse 2, then you should give some thought to your relationship with Jesus. The metaphor of the vine and the branches is about relationship. Jesus was talking with the eleven and there was no question about their relationship with him. The rest of the text is is designed to let us know how life in Jesus, abiding in Jesus, will look. We strive to obey and to love one another and to witness to the lost. But verse 4 reminds us we cannot do it in our own strength, but only as we abide in Jesus. If we belong to Jesus, the Father will cut away that which is unhealthy and unprofitable in our lives. And as you know, this sort of pruning can be painful. 
Pruning is not always the result of sin, but the cutting away of that which hinders our ability to produce fruit, which is God's will for our lives. Gardeners do not win competition by, competitions by refusing to prune the branches of the vines so that they do not hurt them. The pruning is lovingly and carefully done so that the vines will produce fruit. Verse 5 is a summary statement of verses 1 through 8. And a powerful verse it is. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Repetition is an important component in learning. And in our text, Jesus reminds his followers of their relationship with him. He promises them that those who belong to him will bear much fruit. And he says that those uh, who try to bear fruit without him will fail because you can do nothing without me, Jesus says. Martin Luther said that Jesus did not say, you will be able to do a little bit without me. But he said, you will be able to do nothing apart from me. Do you believe this? You are blessed if you do believe it. I want to ask you, have you experienced a greater level of dependence on the Lord in this past month? Maybe it started off with a little bit of panic, thinking about the health of your family and about the jobs that your family family has uh, or have. And, and, and you might have panicked a little bit, but I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that you're, you're trusting the Lord a little bit more. If you belong to Jesus, it is likely that you are more dependent on him now than you were before COVID-19. Only five weeks ago, we were tempted to tell God how we think our lives ought to go. Now, we have recognized he is the creator. We are creatures, totally dependent on him. Here's good news. Our ability to bear fruit has not changed at all, regardless of what is happening in our lives at the moment. It is never bad for believers to be in a place that reminds them of their dependence on the Lord. If verse 5 is not enough to get your attention, verse 6 will. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. So we are now told what happens to the unfruitful branches of verse 2. Where are they taken? They're taken to be burned in judgment. Whether we like it or not, God's judgment on those who refuse to believe is real. Those who belong to Jesus, however, will live with him eternally. And furthermore, they will enjoy a fruitful and meaningful life on this earth, even though it will be painful at times as the Lord prunes the branches. Nothing can take away the joy we have in him when we abide in him, as verse 7 
a test. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Verse 7 is, is a verse that when connected with mission seems to apply directly to the disciples. But the principles inform our prayer life and our mission as well. We have already learned in John 14 what it means to pray in Jesus' name. We pray according to Jesus' character and according to the will of God. Just after Jesus finished his instruction to the disciples, he would model, he, he will model the prayer that never fails. Nevertheless, your will be done. Father, may this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, your will be done. Notice that a vibrant prayer life is part of our union with Christ and is informed by Scripture. When we come to the Word with sins confessed and with hungry hearts, we become more like the one we see in Scripture. Jesus. Verse 8 God the Father is glorified as we become more like the one with whom we are united. What encourages our hearts more than to know that we are his disciples? United forever with Jesus. In verses 9 to 16, the focus, focus shifts from abiding in Jesus to abiding in his love. While it is much the same, we now see the basis for our inclusion in the vine. Jesus' love for us, which is modeled and based on the Father's love for the Son. In other words, this is an intense and everlasting love that brought us into relationship with Jesus. That barking that you hear is a spiritually minded amen, I think, from my neighbor's uh, dogs. To abide in Jesus means to abide in his love. And that will motivate us to keep his commandments. Remember from John 14, 15, to keep Jesus' commandments means not only to obey his commands, but to treasure them or to treasure his word. Such affection for the word has the feel of Psalm 119, where the author repeatedly expresses his love and admiration for God's word. It would be an interesting exercise for you sometime to go through Psalm 119 and replace the different terms used for scripture, such as precepts, and law with Jesus instead of, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. That's in Psalm 119, 17. So instead of that, read it this way. Oh, how I love Jesus. He is my meditation all the day. Do you see scripture as liberating or restrictive? Your answer is likely to depend on whether you have a theology of glory or a theology of the cross. It will depend on whether you are trying to do better so that you can earn God's love 
or if you are seeking to please him from a heart that overflows with gratitude for what Jesus did for you on the cross. The letter kills, 2 Corinthians 3, 6 tells us, but the Spirit gives life. That's a good one word for one who always feels guilty, for one who feels like she has to do better and who is worried that she doesn't meet the standard. Again, Jesus met the standard for us. And the Holy Spirit has baptized us into the body of Christ, or in this case, into the vine, according to the Father's plan. No wonder, verse 11, our hearts overflow with joy. Okay, so that is not all in these last few verses, but it's in the New Testament. All of it is in the New Testament, and it's how it all fits together. There are several breathtaking verses that follow the wonderful news that has already been given to us. After repeating the command from earlier in the farewell discourse, the disciples are told to love one another. Now Jesus tells them in verse 13 that the greatest love is shown when one dies for his friends. And then in verses 14 and 15, Jesus identifies the disciples as his friends, which implies that he will die for them. They, they didn't understand this at the time, but the Holy Spirit would bring clarity to their minds and hearts after his resurrection when he revealed the intimate purpose of his ways. Since the text has put our hearts in a tender place, may I ask you a personal question? Are you weary from trying to be good enough, from trying to do the impossible, to keep the law, or to at least keep enough of it that, that, that will give you comfort to think that you will someday earn your way into heaven and, and that you will go to heaven after you die? <laughs> know this. We can never be good enough, but Jesus died for sinners. And when you repent of your sins and when you put your faith in Jesus, that his death on the cross was a sacrifice on your behalf, that he was taking the punishment that your sins deserved. When you repent and believe, you become his child. You are then a branch in the vine that will produce good fruit. Invite Jesus into your heart right now. Would you do that? Fellow believer, verse 16 is for you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Let me back up and say, this is one of those verses we can first put into, this was spoken directly to the disciples category. You remember the time when Jesus called James and John to follow him, when he changed Simon's name to Peter, and when he called Matthew to leave his books, his taxes, his, his, his cheating ways, uh, on, on, on behalf of the Romans and to follow him. You remember those times. But there is much truth for us as well. God chose us 
to be his children. And this truth was not intended to be a doctrine to divide believers, but to give us rather a deep and settled peace in our hearts that will end the angst about whether we are good enough, good enough or not to please the Lord. We are not good enough, but he chose us anyway. So another question about verse 16, does the fruit that abides read more like a promise or a charge? It's a little bit of both, I suppose. But we did nothing to be in the vine. He chose us to be. And so, therefore, the fruit that remains or abides is not our doing, but his as he, his life flows through us. How does he accomplish his mission through us? Through prayer which is part and parcel of the focus of the text that we have engaged today that reminds us that our life is in Jesus. Therefore, we must abide in him. We must commune with the Lord through prayer. When we abide in Jesus and his word abides in us, then verse 17 reminds us, we will love one another. So what have we learned and how shall we apply this text? For now, I will provide a list of applications, but I will only develop these after the recording has ended. Uh, we're going to release them through the week uh, on our church website and on our Facebook page. Uh, the Grace family will also have access through Faith Life. Some of these points of application are explicit in the text, while others are implicit. The application is going to take us to other places in Scripture. Now, it's going to be my temptation to comment as I go, but let's see if I can be disciplined enough to read this list for now and then leave the commentary for later in the week. Although this list is in place, I have not fully developed these applications. So there may be two days of applications, or there may be three, four, five days of application. So stay tuned. Let's get to the list. First, preaching the gospel to yourself every day is the only way to abide in Jesus. Second, faith is required at every stage of the believer's life. Three, fruit is expected and produced at every stage of the believer's life. Believe it! Four, faith is increased by time in the Word and in prayer. Five, the more time we spend in the Word, the more we will look like Jesus. I want to say something. I'm going to pass. Six, abiding in Jesus and in His love includes both rest and effort. Seven, Jesus is serious about us loving one another. Eight, Jesus must be Lord before he is friend, but what a friend we have in Jesus. Nine, he chose me. Blessed truth. Ten, what a privilege to be a branch that produces fruit 
that remains. Amen. I made it all the way through, except for that one little comment like that. Well, thank you for being here today. I want to close our time in prayer. Let's pray. Father, you have known us and called us by name. Thank you for bringing us into the flock. Thank you for sending the good shepherd who gave his life for the sheep. And thank you for sending him to corral and to lead us. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who increases our understanding, leading us to repentance and faith. Lord, make us more like Jesus. Even though as he spoke the words that we have embraced on this day, he was not far from the cross, which means that we may have a cross in our near future. And, and, and indeed, we are called to bear our crosses every day and to follow Jesus. May we abide in him. Jesus, the source of our lives, the basis of all that is meaningful. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray these things, dear Father. Amen. Thank you and God bless you. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.